So good morning. This, uh, this space, yeah, I like it. <laughs> uh, the celebration of Advent, I don't know what it is for you, but uh, for me, it's, it's slightly foreign. I didn't grow up celebrating Advent. Uh, it was just kind of always Christmas, 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 and then Advent was this traditional thing that I wasn't aware of, and it's something that I've grown to appreciate as I've gotten older. Uh, partly, part of the reason, in complete honesty, complete transparency, because I want to have this space be that comfortable, um, I asked you to say hi to the people around you because I wasn't sure I was going to be able to light this candle. So I didn't want everyone watching me while I fumbled and failed, but it's there. First Sunday of Advent, and the candle is lit. So it's, it's good. It's good. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I know. Lighting a candle. It's a great skill. It's a great skill. Uh, if you're new here this morning, welcome. Uh, there are so many different ways that you can get involved. We're just so glad that you're here. But if you are looking for a community to be a part of, I think this is a pretty great one. You'll notice on the seats around you, there are these connect cards. That's one of the easy ways to get to know us and for us to get to know you. So you can just fill out that card and someone will be at the door at the end and you can give it to one of them and you can even just get to know someone that way. Uh, and generosity is a high priority and a value for us as a community. And in this Christmas season, we're doing our very best to be generous, not just as a church, but into our community and into our school that we get to proudly take care of and be a part of during the week. And so uh, if this is a community that you want invest to invest into, we're going to have some opportunities for you to do that after the service. But uh, now that's out of the way. Uh, Christmas is here, and it's a wonderful thing. It's a little bit cold outside. This is the first time this year that I actually had to scrape my window coming to church this morning, and that's a great thing because it means that there's a possibility that snow just might happen. And for some of you, that might come with fear and trepidation. For myself, it's a little bit of feeling of uh, childhood memories. But uh, Advent is upon us, and I don't know, like I said, I don't know about you, I don't know what your experience with Advent is up to this point, but it's one of the spaces that we get to engage with where we get to anticipate the coming of Jesus. And we get to do that as, as, as a community. And it's the idea of expectation that I've kind of been fixated on when I've been considering the idea of Advent. And the idea of what are we expecting as a community in this season? What are we expecting as individuals in this season? What are you expecting as a family, uh, as friends? Uh, are you already starting to go through a little bit of PTSD when you think about having to go to family dinner with that individual? Uh, you're, you're, you're worried about what they're going to say around the dinner table. Perhaps you've got some family rituals that mom and dad want you to do every single year, and they're really expectant of it. They're really excited about it, but you're like, mom, I'm I'm like, I'm 22 now. Like, this is well past the point of me being able to put on the elf suit and run around the house. Whatever it might be, that's not my story, I promise you. But <laughs> there, there's a lot of different expectations that we have in this season. Expectations that we carry, expectations of us. And so this is the idea that we're going to be kind of navigating in this first little bit. In the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, at the very beginning, it tells the story of two individuals, Zachariah and, and Elizabeth. And they're not the most common names that you'll hear in the Christmas story, but that's where we're going to begin our adventure. So uh, Luke chapter 1, I'm going to read just a few verses. I'm going to read from verse 5 through verse 12. So if you've got your Bibles, feel free to turn with me. Otherwise, I think they should be up on the screen. 
And it says this, starting in verse 5, it says, In the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren. And both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving, while Zechariah was serving as a priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And I'm going to end it right there. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this morning, for everybody that's here, for the moments that we get to spend together. I pray our hearts are open and ready to receive something fresh and new this morning. I pray that wherever our expectations might be coming to the season, uh, feelings and thoughts and memories and hurts that we might be carrying into Christmas, I just pray that we just are met by you this morning, that you would provide healing and, and comfort where we need it the most that you would speak into our areas that are often unspoken. We're so grateful for you and for this moment, for this place. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So when I say the word expectation, uh, have, you, have you ever had a moment where your expectation didn't match up with your reality? I think it's a, it's a fair statement. Maybe it's an expectation of you watch something on the food channel and then you tried to cook it yourself and it didn't turn out nearly as well. Uh, maybe you heard about somebody that you knew really well, uh, that they knew really well, and they didn't like live up to the hype of all that was talked about that individual. Or maybe you had like a goal for yourself and you didn't reach that goal. Uh, I often find like movies are that point of expectation that is driven by how other people talk about it. It could be a really, really bad movie, and if I'm not the first person to see it and everyone tells me it's bad, I often enjoy the movie because my expectations are so low. Or, or if everyone's hyping the movie up and it's the best movie ever and then it's not that great actually, then you go and your expectations are, are, are ruined. Or it's like... Uh, it's, it's like when someone is making you a, a dish, like it's, it's this food hype. They've got this expectation that they put this time, energy, and effort into this dish, and, and they present it before you, and, and you're taking that first bite, and you know they're watching you intently to see what your response is going to be because they have this expectation that it's going to be the most amazing thing that they've ever tasted. Or I saw this, this funny Babylon Bee article, and it was talking about uh, that— Boy at a youth group pulls out a guitar and there's marriage proposals all around. Have you guys seen this one? It's pretty funny. Uh, so <laughs> kid at a youth group brings out a guitar, doesn't get marriage proposals. His expectation was not met. But we have all these odd and, and unique expectations of what we believe life should provide us. For myself, I think expectation is, is one of those things that it forms what we think about ourselves later on. So I'm, I'm going to tell you the story, and this is not for you to feel bad for me, but just for, for me to share the story. Okay, 
uh, 18th birthday. It's supposed to be a big deal. It's supposed to be awesome. I, I went to high school in like a really small school. Like I was the only guy in my graduating class of, of 10 people. And uh, I was a little bit younger than the crew. And so my first year of university was like a culture shock. Walking into that space, 400 people in a classroom, didn't know what I was doing with myself. And I didn't make a ton of friends right off the bat. I was just trying to like, keep my head above water, just survive in that environment. I didn't know what I was doing. And 18th birthday comes around. I'm excited about it. I tell people that uh, the church I used to go to, I let them know. I let people in my class know. I let people that I went to high school know. And I show up at, the, at it was at a Chili's in Calgary. I don't think they have a Chili's out here, but a Chili's in Calgary. And uh, I get there, table booked. And it, Jessica, my sister, is with me. And uh, one person shows up with their older sister. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and that was it. And I was gutted. I felt so awful. And I, I had plans to do stuff afterwards, but I like immediately was like, heck no, am I going to hang out with the one person and their older sister? Why is my little sister even here? <laughs> I, was, I was so, so embarrassed and like upset and unsure. And to be honest, I think it's kind of ruined birthdays for me like for the rest of my life. I've had some great birthdays for me going forward where I've had people like put together parties and it's, they've celebrated and they've been kind and they've been generous. But the birthday that I remember the most is that one because my expectation was not met and it tainted and somehow this disappointment that I experienced in this moment formulated my identity in future moments because that's what disappointment does and that's how expectation can be this, this fickle master that we sometimes put ourselves under because expectation always requires a level of patience and patience always has a level of disappointment. If you're being patient for something, you're having to wait. You're having to, it's not going according to your time or, or to your schedule. So that there's patience in it and disappointment, and then we correlate disappointment with the expectation, and the expectation is then tied to a thought or a place or a birthday, and forevermore, you, you remember it as such. It's, it's, it's interesting. And then in this, in this season of, of Christmas, where it's supposed to be like one of great cheer, great joy, a family, of friends, why is it that it can be a time of, for, for many, the greatest sadness, struggle, uncertainty, and loneliness? That we, we experience these, these real emotions in, in our struggle. Because we're supposed to be happy around Christmas, right? We're supposed to, supposed to be enjoying the moment with friends and with family. We're not supposed to be the Grinch, per se. You just gotta, you just gotta fake it till you make it. You just gotta have that smile going because if everyone else is happy and if you're not happy, then you're just the Debbie Downer and you've got something that's wrong with you. And it's just like this false assertion that you have to fake it till you make it so that you can enjoy the Christmas season. And then you do it one year and then you remember the struggle. And then the next year you think to yourself, I'm going to have to do that all over again. 
But in the pur- this season, the purpose of it is to celebrate and, and to expect the coming of, of Jesus, the birth of Jesus. But the fakeness, which, fakeness, I don't know if that's a word, the fakeness which we're sometimes forced into makes, uh, makes him seem even more false or fake to us. When we can't be true to ourselves, when we can't be honest with who we are, how are we expected to actually engage with the idea of a real, a real savior? So the idea of Christmas is often like commercialized and then we have this forced celebration and then the fake smile and the begrudging gifts that you spend too much on but you feel obligated to because they got you a really nice gift last year and then you're not sure if they're going to buy the gift for you this year and so you got to compensate and then you find out they get you a gift that's a little bit better this year and then you feel bad at Christmas because you didn't do as well and so you take a note for next year that buy a nicer gift for Jimmy. It's like this, this, this weird cycle and if you've got a cousin named Jimmy, I'm thrilled that I picked that out. But it's, it's this sequence that we go through around Christmas. We kind of, we kind of miss it. And I, I don't want to go on this uh, tirade or narrative this morning of like, get over the commercialization of Christmas. Because to be honest, I think we're all very aware of how commercialized Chris, Christmas is. We're all very aware of kind of where it leads us and how we should be better about it and how we need to move past it. Because the heart, the heart of God around Christmas is, is one of relationship, and it's one that he desires for each and every one of us. That he, he doesn't just simply want us to experience the season in, in terms of just be happy because everyone else is happy, but he wants us to be the true version of ourselves and providing what we're really experiencing and perhaps struggling with. And for some of you this morning, the idea of approaching faith or, or Christianity uh, it's, it's tied with this feeling of, of, of dread or, or of shame because of previous Christmas experiences, previous moments in community, previous experiences in, in church. That you've correlated this expectation where you walked in that things were going to be great and all right, and then there was this one moment that seemed to shatter it all, and you've associated it to mean something different afterwards. The heart of Jesus is for all people to approach him and to find rest, to find peace, to find joy, and to be loved unconditionally. And so for myself, I find myself reflecting at Christmas on the reality of Christmas for so many of us because uh, we, we, we have these things that we're dreading. Maybe for you, it's the fact that you're going to have to FaceTime that person that you have a strained relationship with. Uh, maybe it's memories of someone that you've lost. Maybe for you, Christmas is just, is just lonely because you're here and the person that you love is there. And everyone else seems, seems busy and happy and maybe Christmas is this reminder of these things that you're able to push away all year and then suddenly Christmas comes around and you're reminded of it again this unspoken anxiety, this undercurrent of tension that we all carry. And we get to the story of, of Zachariah and, and Elizabeth. And in this story, we have, we have two characters in a time and place that, that we need to talk about before we can fully understand what they're going through. So Zachariah and, and Elizabeth, this is, this is a time and place where 
Uh, Zechariah is a priest, and he's not just one priest that takes care of everything, but he's one of almost 20,000 priests in the kingdom of Israel at the time. And so he has this moment where they cast lots and his name is picked. And this is the most significant moment in his life up to this point. It's like he's won the lottery. He has finally gotten chosen to go and enter the temple on behalf of the people of Israel. This is a significant moment in his life. It's kind of what he's been waiting for. They say that there would have been once or twice in the life of a priest that he would have been given this opportunity. And so he was going to go in and it was going to be this meaningful moment. But he was coming in with this baggage of a lifetime that we're exposed to. See, Zachariah and Elizabeth are a little bit older at this point in their life, but we find out that they were unable to have children. And in that culture, in that time period, the idea of, of infertility, the idea of not being able to have children was so stigmatized that they were often considered to be separate or, or pushed out of certain social groups or, or thought to be lesser. It wasn't simply that they weren't able to. It wasn't simply that they had made a mistake, but they were thought of in that culture, that time and place, as if they were being punished by God. And it was this, this idea that this priest, this supposed man of God that had committed his entire life to pursuing the things of God, to doing the things of God, as he, he was a good man doing good things, and he was married to a, a woman that was from a priestly line, and they were unable to have a child. And so there was this cultural pressure, the stigma upon them that made them believe that what they had been doing or as if they had, were being punished. And so he's carrying this with him. As he, enters, as he enters the temple and he sees this angel on the right side of the altar, the angel Gabriel, significant name in the Bible. And I love that the first statement that is said is, do not be afraid. And it, 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 let's be honest, it's probably a frightening thing that you come into the space and you have this expectation, again the word, of what it's going to look like, what it's going to feel like, what he's going to have to do, what he's going to have to bring to the table, and then bam, there's an angel of the Lord. We don't know what it looked like, we don't know if he had the full, full garb, if he had wings, if he had a choir behind him. It's unlikely, it was probably just Gabriel there, and he says, do not be afraid. And he says, do not be afraid. The Lord has heard, has answered your prayer. What a powerful statement. That he assures him, do not be afraid. And says, I have heard you. So I think often our struggle in our story that we have things that we've been carrying up to this point. Zachariah and Elizabeth, I think we can be pretty, pretty assured at this point that they have been praying, they've been believing, they've been hoping as a couple their entire life that they would have a child, that they wouldn't be punished for this, this perceived thought in their minds as culture would seem to dictate, that God would provide in this way. And now suddenly he's entered this tent and he's been told, do not be afraid, I've heard your prayer. That they've spent their entire life hoping and believing, just maybe I might have a child. 
And he says, do not be afraid. Your prayers have been answered. You will have a son. And then the response of Zechariah tells us a lot about what he was actually praying for. Because Zach, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't get really excited when he hears that his prayer was going to be answered. So this is the thing that he's been praying for his entire life. Hoping for, believing for, thinking that this is what he needs. This is what he desires. This is what he wants. And he's told it is now being given to you. And his first response is, no way. There's no way that that's going to come true. Have you not seen how old I am? He gives Gabriel like a little bit of like a biology lesson. He's like, I'm old. My wife is old. This is not going to (laughs) work. How is this going to happen? And And I would contend that perhaps his response in that moment indicates that he was not praying in the temple for a son. It's more likely that he was actually just following the normal tradition of the day, of the moment, and he was just praying for the redemption of Israel. And so when Gabriel comes and he says, do not be afraid, I've answered your prayer, he is saying, I've answered the prayer of Israel, that the redemption of Israel is at hand, that Jesus is coming, that the Messiah is coming. And then he says, and as if on top of it, and you will have a son. Because this is the truth of this story that that. God doesn't just hear the prayers that are spoken, but he hears our hearts and the thoughts and prayers that are unspoken. Because if they're old at this point in life, they've probably given up all hope. That there isn't any expectation yet anymore upon their idea of actually having a child, of actually being able to find a a chance of having a family at this point. That they walk into this, this, he walks into this room and he's not thinking that God is going to work a miracle. He's thinking, I'm going to do my duty. I'm going to get out of this room. I'm going to burn the incense. It's going to be a great moment. People are going to be excited for me. And I will have accomplished what I believe I was meant to accomplish in this life. And yet, God doesn't just answer a prayer that was spoken for the redemption of Israel, but a prayer that was unspoken in his heart. A hope that was lost. And it's almost as if when he's giving all the reasons why it shouldn't happen, he's saying that a baby is not for me. It's not, it it doesn't happen to people like me. Good things don't happen to people like me. Because that's what happens when we have our expectations unmet. When we have disappointments meet our expectation is we get to this place where we say good things don't happen to people like me. Joy isn't for people like me. Friendships that last aren't for people like me. A community that cares is not for a people like me. A God that would listen is not for people like me. And we categorize ourselves as the exception to the rule. Even if everyone else is getting these great things in their life and the the possibility of tomorrow seems so bright for them, that is not for me. What's an expectation that you have seen be met with disappointment? 
And are you carrying that as a knot for me right now? That you had a goal. You tried for something. And it just didn't go your way. You fell short. And now when you think about yourself, whatever that, that it is, you think that is not for me. Infertility was Zachariah and Elizabeth's story. Perhaps it's, it's family for you, a family that actually gets to enjoy Christmas. Perhaps for you, it's, it's, it's a, a friend group that's actually going to stick with you through a tough time. Maybe you've been hurt by that. Maybe it's a job that you actually will love to go to and to be a part of. All these different moments where we've had an expectation, been met by disappointment, and we carry it as our identity, and we're unable to believe that it is possible that it might just be still for us. Because this is what God does. That even when we say, this is not for me, he makes a way. Because this is what I believe, that that God is not stymied by your doubt, by your disbelief. Zechariah didn't fist pump and say, yes, I prayed 67 times and I got it. Sweet. I'm pumped. Thank you. No, he said, no, there's no way this is possible. And yet God provided Because faith is not a transaction. It's not based upon you doing something to get something. It is so countercultural, it is so opposite of any other belief system in the world. That the idea that Jesus has freely given of himself not expecting any work in return. Zechariah didn't do it right, but yet he was given the deepest desire of his heart, the thing that he thought had already been forgotten, the thing that he had already let go of. So in this Christmas season, I think we all have some level of anxiety around it. Maybe it's something to do with your family. Maybe it's the idea of how much money you have to spend to keep everybody happy. (laughs) Maybe it's the fact that you're not going to be able to actually connect with that family member because you know that things are just not right right now. Or maybe you feel guilty because you know of other families that are struggling and you're not even able to enjoy your own Christmas because you feel guilty about others. In the midst of... Of all of it, God hears our spoken and unspoken prayers, and he wants to provide this unbelievable sense of hope. Because this is what he gives Zechariah in this moment. Zechariah asks, he makes a mistake. You've got to be careful sometimes what you ask God for. Because he asks him for a sign. He says, how is this going to happen? And Gabriel gives him a sign, and he silences him. And he says, you won't be able to speak until you say your son's name, until he is born. 
and he comes out of the tent and it's like this elaborate game of charades because I imagine he comes out and he's trying to explain what's going on and everyone's trying to figure out. So if you're really good at charades, you're pumped for this moment and you're looking at, looking at him and you're like, three words. And you're trying to figure it out. And then you, you, they come to this conclusion that he's, has, he's had this vision. And it's likely that he stayed there for the rest of the week and he, he performed his duties and then he goes back to Elizabeth and finds out that she's pregnant. And then it turns out that Elizabeth stays in seclusion for five months after she recognized that she was pregnant. Because sometimes you hear God speak hope into your story, but you still believe the lies of disappointment to be louder than the hope of Jesus. God literally told her, you're going to have a son. And yet, and she felt as if she knew she was pregnant for five months. And this is the concern we always have. We're like, it's too good to be true. Because we still believe that narrative, that blank, that this is not for me. That even as it's happening right before us, even as you get that job interview that you thought you would never get, that as you're going to the job interview and you're, you're driving in your car, you've got this lie ringing through your mind that they must have just accidentally pulled your name out of the pile, that you didn't deserve it, that you didn't even, that they have no idea what, who you are or what you're doing, uh, that you're going to go in there and you're going to bomb, that this is going to go completely the opposite direction, that we've got this, this narrative in our mind that wants us to believe that it's too good to be true but the too good to be true element of it is is such a lie because the truth of this story is that when God says that he has a promise for your life that is forever going to come to pass it is it is truth in every moment so whether it, it is a job whether it is a question of infertility, whether it's a, a, a question of a friendship or a family. God still moves in our stories even when we have trouble believing that he's present. And that gives me so much peace and hope because I don't get it right a lot of the time. There's so many moments in my story where I have had a hard time believing that God was with me. That, this, that my life was somehow aligned with his story. And yet, he continued to move. And yet, he continued to make me believe that anything was possible. So Zachariah and Elizabeth, they have their little baby boy. And he speaks, and that boy would become John the Baptist, and he'd be known and, and do great things for the kingdom of God. But I love the fact that the beginning of this Advent season, this is, this is the first story in the Gospel of Luke. That the entry of Jesus into the world is introduced by God providing hope in the midst of doubt.
So if you have a story this morning that you're wondering, where are you, God? That doubt resonates in your mind. Uncertainty is a part of how you are considering everything at the moment. Where you're carrying a hurt from a past situation where disappointment has met your expectation. God meets us in the midst of all of it. That his heart for you is to experience hope, peace, love, and joy in this Christmas season and forevermore. But perhaps this Christmas season is one of those spaces where we're a little bit more open to it because we're just a little more aware that it seems like that's something we should be encountering. Why am I not encountering it? But if that's the beginning of the story that he provides for us about Jesus, just maybe your story with him is not over. That your story with him is not beyond hope. That whatever you're carrying, whatever you're questioning, whatever you're wondering, he still meets us in the midst of that. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the gift of your son. Thank you in this space that we are invited to engage with you, to know you. That wherever we might find ourselves on the journey of life and the journey of faith, that you are still pursuing us, that you're still working around us and through us to do something spectacular. And on this first Sunday of Advent, as we look forward to the coming of the birth of Jesus, if we're carrying concerns about what the holiday season's gonna look like, feelings of loneliness, of anxiety, of uncertainty and of struggle, Jesus, I just pray that we find rest in you. Thank you that you've come to us. That your heart is for each one of us to know you. Help us to see beyond all of the filters and details of Christmas and all that seems to surround it and just to see you. We give you all the glory. In your name we pray. Amen.